help us all to be attentive, Father, and, and that we could walk away tonight uh, just being able to know that we've learned something from your word. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 15, and we're going to be dealing with the first 35 verses uh, tonight, and next week we'll, we'll finish up the, the last few verses there. But um, Acts 15, you know, it's very interesting. You read there at verse number 1, the Bible says this, And certain men, I want you to take notice of, of those two words, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So I want you to see there that the Bible tells us that certain men, and and it's very interesting that it uses that terminology. Notice it doesn't call them brethren. Notice it doesn't call them believers. It just says certain men came down from Judea and they taught the brethren. So they put themselves as teachers in the church there at Antioch and said, this is what they were teaching. Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So what they're saying is this. You must do something in order to attain salvation. Now what they were doing is they were adding what we call works to salvation. Or they were preaching a, a works salvation. If you look down, uh, skip down to verse number 24 of the same chapter, uh, you'll see that when they were addressing this, It says in verse 24, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised. And also with comma, it says, And keep the law. So really what they're saying is, These people were teaching you that you must keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So what these men are teaching is they're coming to this church and they're saying, Look, You can't simply be saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't simply be saved by having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must do something. You must keep the law in order to be saved. What they're saying is this, you know, you got to keep the law. And they were specifically dealing with the subject of, you got to be circumcised, uh, you know, after the matter of Moses. And they went as far as to say, ye cannot be saved. They're saying, you can't even attain salvation unless you're circumcised. Now, keep your finger there in Acts 15, because obviously we're going to be coming back to it. That's our text tonight. But I'd like you to go with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 2. You're there in Acts. The next book is Romans. Then you've got 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then you've got the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 2. And I will ask you if you could please just grab an uh, envelope. Uh, an envelope. Good night. I grabbed an envelope because I just got my ticket from the... Highway Patrol, so I'll use that, I guess. But if you want to grab a bulletin or uh, something like that, and keep your finger in Galatians 2, because we're going to be going back and forth from Acts 15 to Galatians 2. Now, Galatians 2, uh, you know, just, let's just read the first verse just so you understand why we're going to Galatians 2. The Bible says, the, Then, 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Galatians 2 is written there, we're told, 14 years after Acts 15. But in Galatians chapter number 2, Paul is writing us to us about the event that happened in Acts 15. It's kind of like a little commentary that Paul gives us in regards to the event in Acts 15. So we're going to be looking at these two passages closely because he sheds some light on the things that are going on there. Now, the first thing I'd like you to just skip down to verse 16 of Galatians 2, just so we can settle this right now. You know, is it right to add the works of the law to salvation? Is it right to say you must be circumcised uh, after the manner of Moses or you know, or ye cannot be saved. Well, if you look at Galatians two sixteen, Paul spells it out and he says this: knowing 
that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So you see that? He says, you cannot be justified by the works of the law. And that's why we call that works salvation. A work salvation. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed. That word believe means faith. Believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So that spells it out pretty clearly. Can you be justified by keeping the works of the law, by doing things to attain salvation? No, you cannot. Salvation comes simply by faith, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. Now today there are those who wish to add works to salvation. You know, maybe it's not as common to hear somebody say, you must be circumcised in order to, uh, you know, to be saved. But today you'll find people who will tell you, you must be baptized to be saved. They'll say, if you're not baptized, you, you're not saved. You must, you know, they'll say you must believe and get baptized. Or they'll say you must believe and repent of your sins. Or they'll say you must believe and take communion. Or you must believe and go to the confessional book. Or you must believe and speak in tongues. Or you must believe and live a good life. Or you must believe and give up drugs or give up alcohol or give up smoking. You know, all religions have all sorts of different rules or whatever. But any religion that teaches you that you must do something, even if it's a good thing, even if it's found in the Bible, if someone is teaching you that you've got to add works to salvation, they're teaching a false gospel. Because the gospel is, is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, is what Ephesians 2 tells us. So it's not of works. It's not something we do. It's not something we attain. I cannot be good enough to get myself to heaven. I cannot keep the law good enough to get myself to heaven. Because look, we're all sinners. That's why the Bible says, you know, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's why it says, for all have sinned. And, and none of us can uh, be good enough to get ourselves to heaven because just one sin will send us to hell. Is what James tells us. Uh, so, so he spells it out clearly there in Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So if you're trying to, if someone says to me, I am trying to get to heaven by living a good life, by being a good person, by going to church, by getting baptized, by repenting of my sins, by I gave up smoking, by I gave up drinking, by I've been clean now for, you know, three years, by whatever. If they're trusting any one thing to get them to heaven, they're going to die and go to hell. Because salvation by works cannot save you. Because you'll never be good enough. You'll never attain it. Let me, let me show you a verse. You say, well, why won't you attain it? Go with me to James. James, the book of James towards the end of the New Testament. James chapter number 2. And I, I didn't have this in my notes, but I figured, let's go ahead and look at it. James chapter number 2, look at verse number 10. If you've got another uh, speeding ticket or something you can put in James, you might as well do that, because we'll come back to James uh, later on in this sermon as well. But look at James chapter number 2, look at verse number 10. The Bible says, For whosoever, James chapter number 2 and verse 10. If you're in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 2nd and 3rd John, Judah, Revelation, you went too far, okay? James chapter number 2, if you can find Hebrews... You know, that's uh, the, one of the bigger books towards the end of the Bible. Uh, James is right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter number 2, look at verse number 10. The Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Do you see that? For whosoever 
shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So you see, there is no, well, I'm not perfect, but I think I'm good enough to get to heaven. Because look, if you just offend in one point, you know, we've all told a lie. And if you say, well, I've never told a lie, you're lying. <laughs> because every single one of us is lying. And the Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. So God tells us we've all lied. So therefore, we've all broken that commandment. So if we just offend, you say, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've never sold. Okay, but if you, you know, if you offend in one point, you're worthy of all. So you see there, none of us are good enough to get to heaven. We can never keep the law enough. We can't do enough good works to get to heaven. That's why it's Jesus Christ who paid for our gift. He's the one who died on the cross. He's the one who kept the law. He's the one who did it all. And He offers us the gift freely. So that's, that's the attack there. These people were coming to the church in Antioch and they were saying, you got to keep the law or you can't be saved. And there we see in Galatians 2.16, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So these religions that tell you, well, you got to get baptized, you got to take communion, you got to go to confessional booth, you got to get catechized, you got to whatever. Look, no one will be saved that way. You've got to accept that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ to save you, and that's it. And accept that by faith. So go back to Acts 15, and look at verse 1. The Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And look at verse number 2. I'd like you to see the response that Paul and Barnabas had. The Bible says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. Alright? That word dissension there means arguing. That means, you know, fighting. That means contention. And notice the Bible says, I love, I love how the King James Bible phrases things. It doesn't say they had a small dissension. It doesn't say they had a big dissension. It says they had no small dissension. So what it's saying is, they had a big dissension. They had a big argument. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, when they heard this, they just blew up. They got mad. I can imagine Paul just screaming and yelling and saying, What are you teaching that you got to be circumcised to be saved? Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. But look, at, but it's interesting. It says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and unto the apostles and elders about this question. So I want you to see this. These men came. They said, we want to teach you guys something. you got to keep the law or you cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas just blew up. They had no small dissension with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas, you know, they, they, had, they, they had disputation. They were fighting. They were arguing. Now go back with me to uh, uh, Galatians chapter number 2. I asked you to keep your place there, so I hope you did that. Galatians chapter number 2. Let's, let's look at, let's look at uh, Paul's take on it in Galatians 2. The Bible says this, Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run, or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because, and I want you to notice verse 4. He says, and that because of false brethren. So we see right there, 
That these men who came, they weren't saved. They weren't real brethren. They were false brethren. Look what he says. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, look, these men came, and they were spying out our liberty. Because why? Because we have liberty through Jesus Christ. We, we were preaching about that on Sunday morning. We have been given, you know, we have been made free from bondage. The truth, you know, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. We have liberty to, to uh, you know, because we've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, these men, they came to take away our liberty, and they wanted to, they wanted to put us back in bondage. They wanted to tell us, you've got to keep the law. you got to, you know, or you cannot be saved. Look at verse 5. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. So he says, look, we didn't even listen to them for one hour. We let them, you know what he's saying? You know, a, a sermon, when I stand up to preach, how long does a sermon generally take? 45 minutes to an hour. You know what they're saying? We didn't even let them finish their sermon. He said, we didn't even, we didn't subjection, that word subjection, the, you, the first part of that is sub. It's talking about like submitting yourself or listening. He says, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. He said, we even let them talk for one hour before we stood up and started arguing with them. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He said, we started arguing with them. We didn't let them finish their sermon. We just got up and started debating with them and telling them they were wrong. He said, we did it, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You say, well, wh- why are you preaching this? Or what's the point of this? Well, here's what you got to understand. We as Christians have gone to the place where we believe that we ought not argue or fight with people. And look, let me tell you something. We ought to fight for what we believe. And that's a biblical principle. We ought to fight for those things that we agree, that, that we find in the Bible, and we ought to fight for the things that we believe. And, and, and the word doctrine in the Bible, the word doctrine means teaching. And we ought to fight over doctrine, and we ought to argue over, and obviously I'm not talking about going over, you know, when you're out soul winning and you knock on some Catholic soul, look, we're just trying to get them saved, we're not going to but if somebody comes into our church, and starts preaching heresy, and starts preaching, hey, no, no, you got to get baptized, or you can't be saved, or you got to, you know, you or Calvinism, or whatever, whatever. Look, we got to stand up against that, and we got to argue, and we got to fight, and we got to do, and that's a biblical principle. You say, I, I don't think we as Christians should do that. Well, go with me to Jude. Jude, and there's only one chapter in the book of Jude, Jude is right before the book of Revelation. So if you can find the last book in the Bible, Revelation, You'll find the book of Jude. Jude, and let's go ahead and read in verse number 1. Jude, actually let's, just, let's skip the first two verses, Just those are kind of introductory. Look at verse 3. Jude 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. So notice what he's, he said, I, I wanted to write to you about salvation, about the doctrine of salvation. He said, I want to talk to you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how you can be saved by faith through Jesus Christ. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So notice what he's saying. He's saying, I wanted to write you a letter about salvation, about, about the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how you can be uh, made free through Jesus Christ. And he said, but when I sat down, I started thinking, I'd like to write to them about salvation. Here's what I thought was the most needful 
me, uh, thing for me to write to you about. He said, I thought it was needful for me to write unto you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. That word contend there is talking about like a contention. That's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They were fighting. They were arguing. And Jude said that we ought to earnestly contend. We ought to earnestly fight. You know, for what? For the faith. You know, we ought not to argue about dumb, silly things. Uh, you, you took my chair. That's where I normally sit. You know, we ought not to argue about stuff like that. But if somebody is wants to, you know, attack the faith, the doctrine, what we believe, the Bible says we ought to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. You say, why, are, why should we do that? Look at verse 4. Tell me if this sounds familiar. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you, you better believe that as our church grows, that there are going to be false brethren who come into this church, people who don't actually believe, that are here to just teach heresy and false doctrine, and we got to stand up against that, and we better understand that, and make sure and be willing to contend for the faith. As Christians, we ought to fight for what we believe. We ought to fight. Paul and Barnabas, they said they didn't even let them finish their sermon. They said, they, we didn't even sit there for an hour and listen to that garbage. We stood up and began to argue with them and began to fight. He said, we had no small dissension. He said, we argued and we disputed with them because they were just false brethren coming in to try to teach us heresy. Now, uh, go, go with me to James chapter number 3. I asked you to keep your place there in James 3, so hopefully you did that. Or in James 2, but, but go with me to James 3 and... Look at verse number 17. Now before we read James 3, let me just say this. Today in America, Christians have this belief that we need to get along. All Christians, all churches, need to love each other, need to get along. And this is what the, the it's called the ecumenical movement, where different church, all churches get together. You, you, they'll have ecumenical services. For example, they'll have like they'll they'll rent like Arco Arena, or they'll rent like a big stadium, and they'll have some preacher come in. They'll say, "Oh, we're going to preach a non-denominational, you know, sermon, and we want all the churches to work together: the Catholics, the Baptists, Protestants. You know, let's just all get together. Let's work together, and let's." And here's what they'll say. Here's the common phrase I've heard my entire life. They'll say, let's just agree on the things we agree, and let's not talk about the things we don't agree with. So, we all love Jesus, so let's just, you know, talk about how much we all love Jesus. But let's not talk about doctrine, let's not talk about things we believe. You believe salvation is by works, you believe salvation is by faith, you believe in Calvinism, you believe that God chooses who's going to get saved, and, no, and man has no choice. You believe that it's baptism, you, you know, let's just not talk about those different things that, that you know, uh, and, and let's just all get along. That's what the average Christian today believes. Now, look at uh, James chapter number 3, and look at verse number 17. Now look, this is a very important doctrine. And a lot of people don't like, you know, people t talk about us, you know, independent federal Baptists, and they'll say, you guys are so divisive. You guys don't get along with anybody. You're fighting and arguing. Well, look at what it says in James chapter 3 and verse 17. The Bible says, but the wisdom that is from above. Isn't that good? Isn't that, isn't that what you and I need? Wisdom from above? That, that's referring to God. That's the doctrine, the teaching, the wisdom that comes around. Look what it says. But the wisdom that is from above, notice what it says, is first pure, then peaceable.
see that? The rest of the verse says, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. But I want you to notice this. The Bible, look, the Bible doesn't just put things in order for no reason. The Bible says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. You know what that is saying? It's this. You know what? This is what God is trying to teach us. And this is what we got to understand. When it comes to the wisdom that is from above, when it comes to Bible doctrine, Bible teaching, first priority is that it's pure. The second priority is that it's peaceable. Okay, so here's what God is saying. If you must forfeit peace to have purity, then do it. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, the word pure means to be holy. That's what it, it means without defilement. It means that it's right. It means that it's correct. And God says, it is more important for me that you have pure wisdom, that you have pure doctrine, that you have pure teaching, that you have holy teaching, and it's, that's more important to me than that you have peace. So he said, I'd rather you have no peace, but have purity. But today, Christians will say, let's have peace at all costs. Even if it means that, you know, doctrine goes out the door, even if it means that the purity of our doctrine, the purity of our teaching goes out the door, let's just have peace, let's all gather together, let's sing Kumbaya, let's love each other, and we can all work together, and look, that's wrong. I mean, show me something else from the Bible. James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Period. So doctrine must be first pure, must be first right, must be first holy. And look, if someone wants to agree on the purity of the doctrine, then hey, we'll have peace with them, we'll have fellowship with them, we'll love them. But if they don't want to have the purity, we don't want the peace. We're not just looking to make friends. We're not, you know, the, the, you've heard the phrase, oh, just go along to get along. No, we're not going along to just get along. Paul and Barnabas are say, hey, we're not just going to go along with these new Christians, you know, these new guys that showed up that are teaching. We're not just going to go along with what they're teaching because we want to get along. They, you know what Paul and Barnabas were saying? They were saying, we want the wisdom to be pure, and then we'll, we'll worry about the peace. But, but I'm not going to sacrifice purity for peace. And they're saying, so we got to fight about this? Let's fight about it. That's what he was saying. And that's why Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith. Okay? So we got to get this understanding as Christians that it is not wrong to fight for what we believe. It is not wrong to, to fight. And I'm not talking about fighting because someone took your chair, because someone didn't say hi to you. You know, obviously we ought to be, you know, and I'm not talking about soul, and soul winning. We're not there to argue with people. We're not there to be rude to people. If they are, you know, wanting us to give them the gospel, and they're, you know, wanting to listen to us, we'll be as polite as we can and show them what the Bible says. But we're talking about in the church setting, and the doctrine setting, somebody walks in here and says, well, I think that it's baptism. We need to correct that. We need to argue with that. We need to fight that. We need to earnestly contend for the faith. And there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes we get a bad rap because people say, well, you guys just fight too much. And you guys just, you know, why can't we just get along? You know, I get, you know, it's, it's some, sometimes we'll get, our church will be invited. I get phone calls from people. They'll say, oh, we got all these churches, you know, getting together. And we're going to feed the homeless. And we're wondering if you're, if you can get all your group people together and, and, and uh, come, come and help us. You know, all these churches from all around the community are going to feed the homeless. And we're going to have a, a nice breakfast, and we're going to have this, this, this preacher coming in, and he's going to preach a little sermon, and then we're, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to uh, feed the homeless. And we're just trying to get all these churches together. And I always say no. Because look, I'm not going to go and listen to some preacher, number one, preach out of the NIV, because I, I doubt he's not using King James. You know, and teach me that i got to be circumcised to be saved, or baptized, or whatever. 
Wisdom from above, first pure. That's a priority. Then we'll worry about the peace. And if you go back to Acts 15, you see that that was exactly what Paul was worried with. Look at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders. And I want you to take note of these three words about this question. Now let me ask you this. Did Paul and Barnabas have a question about this? Were they wondering about it? Were they scratching their head? No, they were not. The church people were having a question because they got confused. And they were like, well, I don't know if Paul and Barnabas is right. I don't know if these new guys are right. So why don't we just send a, let's send a group down to the church in Jerusalem and we'll talk to Peter and James and John and, and maybe they can clarify this. But look, Paul and Barnabas didn't have a question about this. They weren't scratching their head thinking, well, is it, is, is it work salvation? Is it keeping the law? Look, they were arguing about it, but they said, well, we have a question about it, so let's say it. But I want you to understand, Paul and Barnabas did not have a question. And let me prove it to you. Look at verse 3. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles that they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Now, sometimes we read these verses, it's easy to just look over them. But understand what's going on here, okay? These, Paul and Barnabas, if you remember, they're missionaries who went out to the Gentiles and got a bunch of Gentiles saved. And they were teaching these Gentiles that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. These men came along and they're attacking the converts that Paul and Barnabas got saved. And they're saying, these Gentiles, they're not saved because they haven't been circumcised. And you've got to be circumcised to be saved. So they have a question, right? But Paul and Barnabas don't have a question because here's a funny thing to me. As they're going down to Judea to get clarification on this question, they're declaring, look at verse 3, they're declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. So, as they're going down to get clarification on this, on this thing, they're already declaring to people that this is right, the Gentiles. Do you see that? you see what I'm saying? They're saying, uh, verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and that they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So they're saying like, hey look, these people are saved. They're already declaring victory because Paul and Barnabas aren't worried. They don't have a question about this. They're not scratching their head. You know, as they're going to get clarification on it, they already know. You say, well, well why, why are they being like that? Isn't that kind of rude? Because imagine you got these guys with you. You're traveling with these men. And these men are telling you, the Gentiles you got saved, they're not saved. And on the way down to get clarification, you're going around to these churches and you're declaring, saying, hey, praise the Lord, all these Gentiles, they got saved. Isn't that kind of rude? What do you think? Like, you know, because these guys are probably thinking, oh, well, we still haven't talked to Peter and Paul, you know, to Peter and John about this. But look, I said, number one, we ought to fight for what we believe. But number two, we ought to know what we believe. Paul and Barnabas weren't worried about it. They didn't have a question. They weren't scratching their head. In fact, on the way down to the meeting, they're declaring victory. They're saying, hey, isn't it great that these Gentiles got saved? You say, well, why did they do that? Here's why. Because they knew what they believed. They didn't have a question about it. Go back with me to Galatians chapter number uh, 2. Look at verse number 3. Galatians 2. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, so he was a, Jew, he was a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. Do you see that? So these men came in saying, hey, you got to be circumcised to be saved. But they said, look, Titus, 
They didn't compel him to get circumcised. He says, no. You know why? Because they knew what they believed. Skip down to verse number uh, 6. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, But of these who seem to be somewhat... He's talking about... You'll, you'll see later on in the passage, he's talking about uh, Peter and James and John. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. So he's saying, you know... He's saying, we're going to meet these, these leaders, you know, these pastors. He said, they seem to be somewhat, but he said, you know what? I don't really care. What they, who they are. Because, why, why is he saying those things? Because he knows what he believes. He doesn't need a man to tell him. He can read the Bible on his own and see what it says. So he says, but of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, make it no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference, look what he says, added nothing to me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, they didn't teach me anything I didn't already know. When I went down there to have that meeting, they didn't tell me anything new. They didn't show me anything new. They didn't strain me out because I already knew what I believed. On the way down, I'm declaring victory. And I'm telling, hey, you know, but how did Paul have that confidence? How did Barnabas have that confidence? Not only were they willing to fight for what they believed, but here's why they were willing to fight for what they believed. Because they knew what they believed. They knew what the Bible says. Look at verse 7. But contrawise... He's saying, on the contrary, he's saying, it's not like they taught me something and they strained me out. He said, on the contrary, but contrawise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James... Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and that they unto the circumcision. So you see what he's saying there? He's saying, look, it's not like they taught me anything new and they straightened me out. He's saying, in fact, on the contrary, when we got there and they saw the work that we were doing and the doctrines that they were teaching, they gave us the right hand of fellowship and they said, keep doing what you're doing. You say, well, why did Paul and Barnabas have that confidence? Here's why they had that confidence. They knew what they believed. And you know why the average Christian today is not willing to fight or contend or debate or argue for the things they believe? Here's why. They don't even know what they believe. The average Christian knows that Jesus is good and we love Jesus and He died on the cross for our sins and that's it. They can't explain to you doctrine. They can't explain to you what they believe. They can't explain to you why they do the things they do, why they go to places they go, why they, why they uh, act the way they do. They can't explain to you why they, they sing the songs they sing. It's just a song that our church sings. You know, and there's something wrong with that. We, we need to, you know, be people who know what we believe. And you say, well, is it possible for Christians to be that confused? Yes, it is. Look, go back to Acts 15. Look at verse 4. Acts 15, 4. They get there to, to Jerusalem to have this meeting. Look what it says in verse 4. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And we just read in Galatians 2 that they were received warmly. Right hand of fellowship. And they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees. I want you to understand, these are different, this is a different group. Than, than the the unsaved, the false brethren, okay? These are people from Jerusalem. And it says, But there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed, okay? So these are saved people. These are Christians. But, but I want you to understand this. They're Christians 
who used to be Pharisees. They came out of that false religion of, of the Pharisees. Now they believed. But the Bible says, But there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now notice, they're saying something different. They're not saying that you need to get circumcised to be saved. Because these are Christians. They know that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. But since they came out of this false religion... They're kind of still leaning towards those false doctrines that they were taught. So they're just saying like, well, you don't have to, you know, get circumcised to be saved. But it is something you need to do to get circumcised. And look, if you read the Bible and you understand the Bible, the Bible is very clear. New Testament believers do not need to be circumcised. That's, that's what the Bible says. And if you don't, you know, believe me, read the New Testament. It's very clear throughout the scriptures. Do a study on it. But these people are saying, look, they got to be circumcised. But here's the thing. Here's what you got to understand. When, when, when you Christians get saved, you got to understand, if you got saved out of a false religion, you've got to throw that, all that away. You cannot, you know, because sometimes people are taught things in false religions, and they get saved, and they really are saved. But they, want, they tend to bring those, uh, you know, problems with them. That's one of the problems, and listen, listen to what I'm saying, that's one of the problems. There's many problems, but that's one of the problems uh, with the Protestant movement that came out of the Catholic Church. Now, you say, well, you know, and, and please understand this, Baptists are not Protestants. I know that's something people like to say, but you look at our history. Protestants are Christians who came out of the Catholic Church and they protested against the Catholic Church. You cannot find any history of Baptist people coming out of the Catholic Church. Now, you can find a whole lot of history of Baptist people being killed by the Catholic Church and being, you know, uh, persecuted by the Catholic Church, but no Baptist came out of the Catholic Church, you know. Our, our uh, lineage goes back to John the Baptist and Jesus Christ on the shores of Galilee. But one of the problems that the Protestants had with the Catholic Church is that when they protested against the Catholic Church, and, they, and many of them said, no, 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 the Catholic Church is wrong. Salvation is not by works. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. And they left the Catholic Church and started their own churches, like the Lutheran Church, like John Calvin's church, and all these things, and John Calvin's a whole different story. But as these Protestants left the Catholic Church, here's the problem with a lot of these Protestant churches, is they took with them a bunch of the false doctrine from the Catholic Church. That's why you'll go into some... Protestant churches, and they'll have the same robes, they'll have the same, you know, idolatry, the same crucifixions, the same, you know, different prayers, and, stuff. and, and they're very similar, why? Because they, because they took out of that false religion, you know, and supposedly they were making a new right religion, but they took a bunch of that false doctrine with them. So you got to be very, very uh, careful, if you got saved out of a false religion, to make sure you don't bring those doctors with you. Because these men, they were saved. They were believers. But they came out of the sect of the Pharisees, so they had this understanding. They were thinking like, well, okay, okay. So you don't have to get circumcised to be saved, but it is something you must do. When it's very not something you must do in the Bible. Look down at verse number 6. I said, number 1, we ought to be willing to fight for what we believe. Number 2, we ought to know what we believe. But number 3, more than just knowing what you believe... You ought to be able to prove what you believe. You understand what I'm saying? It's not enough to just know what you believe. Well, I believe that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that baptism is a commandment of God, but not part of salvation. 
I believe that God, that the Bible teaches us that we ought to have independent Baptist churches and that we ought not be part of the denomination. I believe that the, the autonomy of the local church. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. I believe in the two ordinances. I believe in the two offices, the, uh, the pastor and the deacon. I believe you know, in the inspiration and preservation of the scripture. You, you can write all those things up and say, I believe that. But can you prove that? If somebody says, well, where is that in the Bible? Can you show it to them? Because look what happens, verse number 6. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, so they're arguing about this doctrine, Peter rose up and said unto them, now keep in mind, Peter is like the main guy at, the, at this point. Because he was the leader of the apostles. And he's pretty much taken charge of the apostles there in the New Testament. But was says, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring to back to Acts 10. Do you remember when the angel uh, sent uh, Peter to Cornelius to get the Gentiles saved? Look at verse 8. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts, notice what he says, by faith. Now therefore, so notice what he says, he says, look, God put no difference between us and the Gentiles, he gave them the Holy Ghost just like he gave us the Holy Ghost, and they got saved, and he says this, he ends it by saying this, by faith. So you know, we're like, amen Peter, that's right. Look at verse 10. Now therefore, now he begins to, to rebuke them. It says, now therefore, why tempt ye God and put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Notice what he's saying. He's saying, look, when we were in the Jews' religion and we believed that we had to keep the law, we couldn't keep it. Why are you trying to put that on them now? Our fathers couldn't keep it, we couldn't keep it. Why are you trying to put a yoke on them? Look at verse 11. But, notice what he says, we believe. That this is one of our doctrines. This is one of our faiths. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. You see that? So Peter's just standing up and he's just saying, look, you guys are wrong. Salvation is by grace. It's by faith. You cannot put a yoke on people and tell them, we couldn't do it back when we were in the Jews. Our fathers couldn't do it. It's salvation by grace. Don't tell them they've got to keep the law. Look at verse 12. That was Peter's testimony. Then, all the multitude kept silent. So everybody just kind of stops arguing and they're, they're silent now. Because Peter has a lot of clout, you know. So he's kind of one of the main leaders. So after he rebuked them sharply, they just kind of all were being quiet. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. Declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by, by them. So now Paul and Barnabas, they start telling about what happened when they went on their first missionary journey. And they're explaining that all these Gentiles got saved, that God did a great work, and that, you know, they're explaining their thing. Look at verse 13. And after they held their peace, so now they're done speaking, James, and keep in mind, this is not James the Apostle. The Apostle James got killed earlier in the book of Acts. This is James, the brother of Jesus Christ, who, he didn't believe on Jesus Christ until Jesus resurrected from the grave, but now he's like one of the leaders there at the church, maybe even the pastor of the church, I've heard people say that. But the Bible says in verse 13, and after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets. And notice what he's doing now. He's giving them Bible proof. He's saying, this is what Peter said, 
But to this agree the words of the prophets. As it is written. So now he's quoting for them scripture. He's proving this from the Bible. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So notice he quotes to them from the prophets, and if you're interested, he's quoting Amos chapter number 7, verses 11 through 12. That's the Bible reference. So notice what Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James are doing. They're not only stating what they believe, they're proving it from the Bible. They're saying, look, that's what Peter said that's what happened, Paul and Barnabas said that's what happened, but now let me show you what the Bible says. So they're proving that the Bible says that the Gentiles will one day be able to be saved. So we ought to be able to prove what we believe. It's not enough for you just to know. You know, well, I'm a Baptist. Well, why are you a Baptist? Well, I, you know, I believe in the Trinity. Well, why do you believe in the Trinity? Just because the pastor said it? You have to, yes, look, it's good. Know what you believe, but you have to be able to prove it. Go with me to 1 Peter, chapter number 3. Towards the end of, of the... I'm running out of time. 1 Peter, chapter number 3. I got, let's see if we can do this in five minutes. 1 Peter, chapter number 3. Towards the end of the uh, New Testament. 1 Peter, chapter number 3. Look at verse number 15. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and look what it says, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let me read that again. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always Always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So God is telling us right there that if somebody walks up to you and they ask you a question about the hope that is in you, about your faith, about what you believe, you ought to be ready to give them an answer. You say, how do I do that? Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. You want to go towards the left in your from First Peter there, Second Timothy chapter number two. Look at verse number fifteen. Second Timothy chapter number two. Look at verse number fifteen. You say, "How am I going to uh, be able to to do that? How am I going to be able to have an answer for all them that you know ask a question of me or want to know?" Look at verse number. Man, I must have put the wrong verse down. 2.15? Oh, okay, I'm looking at 1.15. I'm sorry about that. 2.15, there you go. See, you guys, you guys know your Bibles, praise the Lord. Second Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you see there, the Bible says, you know, we ought to be knowledgeable Christians. We ought to know the Bible. You say, how do we ought to know the Bible? Study! Study to show thyself approved unto God. Hey, be ready to give an answer. If anybody asks you, yeah, and obviously not, we're not all going to know. Look, I'm a pastor of a church, and I don't know everything that's in the Bible. But you ought to know enough to be able to feel the, you know, enough questions. Well, why, you know, why is it okay for your for your church to meet in a house? I thought that'd be bad. You ought to be able to show them why 
you know, well, well, you know, let me show you that the Bible says that church is not a building. Church is a group of people. So we could be meeting in a house or under a tree or under a bridge and it'd still be church. You know, you got to know those things. And you say, well, how do I know those things? Study. That's why three services are so important. You come to all three services. You can be learning the Bible. You can be grasping. That's why Bible, personal Bible reading. You at home, reading the Bible, studying the... I didn't say studying a devotional. I didn't say studying a book that someone wrote about the Bible. I'm talking about you opening your Bible, reading your Bible, studying your Bible, memorizing your Bible, knowing your Bible, be knowledgeable. Why? Because you got to fight for what you believe. But how do you fight for what you don't know? You have to know what you believe, but when you know what you believe, you ought to be able to prove what you believe. How do you prove what you believe? The Word of God. How do you get it from the Word of God? Study. Be able to give an answer. Go back with me to Acts 15. Let's try to finish this up. Acts 15. Look at verse number 22. I said number one, we have to fight for what we believe. Number two, we have to know what we believe. Number three, we ought to be able to prove what we believe. But number four, we ought to align with those who agree with what we believe. Look at Acts 15, look at verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders, that the brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are at the, uh, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazardous their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same thing by mouth. So here's what they're saying. We're sending Barnabas and Saul back to strain you guys out, we're sending a letter to tell you, look, this is what we believe. And we're going to send these other men, Judas and Silas, to, to even, you know, from our church, to even bring more proof that this is what we believe. Uh, uh, skip down to verse 32. Look what it says. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So, Judas and Silas, when they get there, they preach. That salvation is by grace and faith and not of works, and they don't have to keep the law. So look, we ought to align ourselves with those who believe what we believe. That's why we're not going to go join up with the neo-charismatic movement, the ecumenical movement, these other you know churches. Other things. We're not going to go join up with them. Is it because we hate them? Is it, no, look, they're, they're good people. They're fine people. They're, they're, I'm sure they're not evil people. They may be misled or maybe they don't know their Bible, whatever. But we must align with those who we believe. Judas and Silas came back. Because they agreed with the doctrine that was being taught. Let me show you uh, one more verse. Romans chapter number 16. Just, just bear with me. and Because uh, I really want to show you this. Romans chapter number 16. Look at verse number 17. Romans 16, 17. Romans 16, 17 says this. Romans, you're there in Acts. Very next book. Romans chapter number 16. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren. Notice what the Bible says. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the what? 
doctrine, which ye have learned, and then it says this, and avoid them. You know what the Bible is saying there? We need to mark, we need to point out the people who are teaching things that are contrary to the doctrines we've been taught, and we need to avoid them. Okay? Sometimes in my sermons you'll hear me point out certain individuals, certain preachers. And stuff. You say, well, I don't think you should do that. Well, look, all throughout the Bible, if you read your New Testament, all throughout the Bible, Paul is calling out preachers, John is calling out people by name, saying, these people teach these things and they are wrong. And here's the thing. You know, I'm not going to attack some guy, I don't know. But you think these, a lot of these preachers, when they, they put themselves on the television, they put themselves out, and they put themselves out there teaching these heresies, well look, if they're going to put themselves out there, you know, having access with our church people, trying to teach them right thing, then they open themselves up, and if they're teaching something that's wrong, we need to mark them. You say, well, why do we need to point them out? Why do we mark them? So you can avoid them. So you know they're bad. So look, when Harold Camping stands up and says, you know, October, whatever, uh, Jesus is coming back, the end of the world, then look, we're going to preach against that. We're going to teach you, you know, from the Bible, why there's no way that's going to happen because certain things must happen according to the Bible, and there's no way the world's going to end in the next four months, and he's wrong. He's like, well, you ought not do it. we, we got to mark him so you can avoid him, so you don't get confused by him, so you don't get taught by him. That's what the Bible says. And people don't like that today. People say, well, I just want the type of Christianity where we all get along. We all... Well, look, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Hey, I'd love to have peace with everybody. But we've got to worry about purity first. Amen. The doctrine has to be right. We, gotta, we should align ourselves. That's why at Verity Baptist Church, we will never have anybody come preach here that's going to stand up with some New King James or NIV. You know, we'll have men come in here who we agree with, like Pastor Mark Lewis, like Pastor Steve Anderson. Men who agree with our doctrines, agree with what we believe. We're not, you know, and some of, you know, someone uh, was, was asking me if ever I'd be willing to go down to some missionary Baptist church and preach for them. And I, the answer is no. I'm not going to a missionary Baptist church part of a denomination, using the New King James, you know, preaching something, you know, preaching work salvation. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. That means something to me. And, I, and, and you know, I'm not going to align myself with somebody that I don't agree with. Because wisdom of mom is first pure, then peaceable. One, I just want to show you one more thing. Go back to Galatians chapter number 2. We're, we're done. Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2, and look at verse number 11. If, if I could leave it for next week, I would, but it's just part of this, so just look at it. After all of this happens, Paul goes into a little more detail of things that happened after this. You know, they get back, Judas and Silas, they're preaching, you know, and, they're, and they, they strain out the church there, and, and we didn't read it there in Acts uh, well, we read it at the beginning when we read the entire chapter. But, uh, you know, the church accepted that and they were happy to hear the news and they, they were, you know, they got that thing care. But look at verse number 11 of Galatians chapter 2. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. So notice what Paul is saying. Peter came to Antioch. You know, he's a guest preacher at, at his church. And, P and the Bible says that Paul got in Peter's face and he withstood him. To the face. Because he was to blame. To blame about what? Look at verse 12. For before that certain came from James. And you'll, you'll see this later on in the passage. James, 
you know, he's a good man, but he seems to lean towards wanting to please the Jews. Later on in the book of Acts, James is going to, uh, you know, uh, encourage Paul to shave his head and go into this Old Testament, you know, uh, you know, Nazarite vow that he never did, but he's just having him pretend like he did this Old Testament vow just to please the Jews. And we'll get into that, you know, as we move on later. But James seems to, you know, he's saved and he's a good guy, but he seems to just want to please the Jews and he kind of just doesn't want to offend them. And the Bible says that Peter was at Antioch, you know, he's preaching and he's having fun there. He's doing a great work there with the Gentiles. But in verse 12, for before that certain came from James. So when a group from James comes, he did eat with the Gentiles. So before James shows up with his group, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, freeing them which were of the circumcision. Do you see that? So now look, Peter is right on the doctrine. He taught the right thing. He said, look, it's salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Don't put a yoke upon them. You know, don't try to bring them back into bondage. But, but later on, when Peter's in Antioch, he's fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He's eating with the Gentiles. But when a group from James shows up, and they're, they're you know, leaned towards Judaism, then he, he like stops associating with the Gentiles. And he just hangs out with the Jews. And that upset Paul, and Paul withstood him to the face, and he said, and here's the problem. We ought not only fight for what we believe, we ought not only know what we believe, we ought not only be able to prove what we believe, we ought not only align with those who, we, who agree with what we believe, but we need to take a stand for what we believe, a personal stand. Peter knew what was right. But because, if you look at verse 12, the last part of verse 12, he withdrew and separated himself, Fearing them which were of the circumcision. Because he wanted to please a group of people. He just quit fellowshipping with the Gentiles and just hung out with the Jews. And that was wrong. And Paul was right to rebuke him in, you know, face to face and tell him, Hey, you're wrong. Because we have to take a stand for A personal stand for what we believe. You think it's easy to be the, the pastor who, like, you know, just believes the Bible and, and, and you know believes all these radical doctrines, and we just, because the Bible says it, you know, it'd be easier to just get along with people, and to just say, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, you Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God, that's fine, you know, let's just get along. Hey, that'd be easier. You know, that'd be easier to build a church like that. Just never preach anything controversial, never preach any deep doctrine, you know, because here's the thing, you start preaching doctrine, people are either going to like it or they don't like it. But guess what, if I just stood up and every, every Sunday I just preached a positive sermon. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to, you know, make you happy. And the sky is nice, you know, and everything's good. Look, those positive sermons, and I'm, I'm totally for positive sermons and encouraging sermons, but look, those sermons aren't going to, you know, they're not going to offend anybody. Jesus loves you, that doesn't offend anybody. Jesus is God might offend the Jehovah's Witness, might offend the Mormon, might offend these people who don't believe that Jesus is God. Do you see what I'm saying? You start getting into the doctrine, well, now you're going to start offending people. You start teaching, you know, that salvation is by faith and not of works, that you don't need to get baptized to get saved, that you don't need to put money in the offering plate to get saved. Well, that's going to start offending people. But that's why we've got to understand in our hearts, wisdom from above, first pure, then peaceful. We mark them so we can avoid them. And we've got to know what we believe. We've got to be able to prove what we believe. We need to align with those who agree with what we believe. And we ought to take a stand for what we believe. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for Acts chapter number 15 and all the great things we could learn from the chapter, Lord. And it's kind of a, a tough sermon. Uh, 
because it goes against our nature so often to, to contend. But the Bible tells us we got to earnestly contend for the faith. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray.